Have you heard this? I'm listening. Well, so, tell me, she's still upset about Lydia. She thinks I should have stayed celibate until the minute we got together. You say six months, does that constitute a fling? Leave him alone. Mind you, I don't know why I'm asking him. He's had more flings than Eccles' old frisbee. <laughs> so that was it, then? That's all it took to get a backup? Yeah, yeah, that's all it took. Peter's feeling delighted because, for once, he's not the one in the doghouse. Oh, I've knocked all that on the head, mate. I'm too old for that. The talk of the street. 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 Talk of the street. Happy New Year and welcome to episode 187 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street catch-up podcast that between women not being able to cook and women not being able to drive, I'm amazed the street hasn't turned into a Derek Jarman movie in 2021. I'm Gavin. And I want to thank you for being a friend, oh. for travelling down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. The word pal is in there? Yeah, I think you're right. And... And if you threw a party, uh-uh. you were doing the whole thing. And then we got four and a half hours worth of quality to talk about. But we're going to do the whole thing. Everyone you knew, <laughs> you would see the greatest gift would be from me, and the card attached would say, "Fuck off." <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. R.I.P. The final golden girl, Betty White. Yeah, that was sad news yesterday. Yes. Let's wrap some bubble wrap around. Dame Maureen Lippman and, and Dolly Parton and We hadn't done Loretta that to Betty White. I think we did. I think that's why we, we got her it. as far as... It was smothered in uh, bubble wrap. Yeah, I think Dolly Parton's going to be the go-to now because first it was RBG that we were like, uh-huh. everybody, everybody protect Ruth Bader Ginsburg at all costs. And then it was everybody protect Betty White at all costs. And, and now I think it's... Protect Dolly Parton at all costs, which I honest, yeah. honestly, honestly, I think that woman has preserved herself quite well. <laughs> I don't think she needs our help. God bless her. We could all do with a little help. Yes. For some reason, I've got the theme to the littlest hobo in my head. There's a voice that keeps on calling me. No, we're not going to sing again this week. <laughs> Happy we New Year. Happy New Year, my darling. Ma. Yeah. <laughs> 2022, y'all. Yeah. May it be better than the last two? Maybe? Yeah. Or is it just going to... Are we just going to keep rolling that ball downhill? We will look back with fondness to 2021. <laughs> this was before the the alien uprising. Right, yeah. Oh, well. Cheery thoughts. Cheery thoughts. But happy new year to you, dear listener. Yes. Hope you had a happy Hogman A. Yeah. And I hope 2022 is good to you. Long may your lum reek. Lang. Lang may your lum reek. There you go. It's taking 10 years, but we finally get there. I'm an American. My my tongue has a hard time making those vowel sounds. Yeah, and yet your lum doesn't have any problem reeking. That's that's true. My lum reeks all the time. (laughs) Actually, sadly, it doesn't, because before we moved in, somebody took out the chimney. In the fireplace, in the living room, so that there would be room for the TV. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities, y'all. Indeed. 
We got a new TV the on Boxing Day. It's a Boxing Day tradition to buy something in a box. <laughs> it's um, it's the biggest TV I've ever bought. Yeah, it's the biggest TV I've ever bought. And we- now it doesn't actually seem that big. <laughs> It, it doesn't seem... We went from a 40-inch to a 55-inch. Yes. And 55-inch is... You know, when I was grown up, we 23, 26. Right. Maybe even a a 30-inch TV. <gasps> I never had a 30-inch Fancy. TV. My friends had a 30-inch TV. But, you know, when you go from something like that to a 55-inch, it's like, oh my God, this is like having a cinema in your front room. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of our argument. Is that we watch so many movies from home now. Mm-hmm. But you don't want it too big. No. No, you don't want it to be ostentatious. Like that 70-inch thing that we had in the Airbnb last year. Oh, God, that was massive. It took up the entire entire wall. Too big. It was a 70-inch TV and a 72-inch wall. Yeah. If we watched Scooby-Doo <laughs> for a weekend. Yes, you're British and, and I'm, a, I'm a Yankee. We don't go for ostentation. <laughs> it's, it's not in our DNA. To be ostentatious. What has happened to you? Anyway, we have four and a half hours worth of Coronation Street to get through, Uh, so we we may as well preamble sooner rather than later. Yes. Shall we do that right now? Sure. Give us some of that... Reiki? (laughs) There we go. Give us some of that Reiki Coronation News. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Not again. Not again with the buttons. No! (laughs) It's always... It's the first one. I don't know if I get confused. What an excellent way to start off. Start as you mean to go on. Start as you mean to go on. Hmm. That's Officer Barlow to you. As if Ken wasn't pompous enough, William Roach was just awarded an OBE. An Order of the British Empire. No, I mean, Officer of the Order of the British Empire. Because they're all orders of the British Empire. Are they? Yes. But it's a step up from. Shirley Houston, who was honoured being made an MBE, a.k.a. a member of the Order of the British Empire. So she joins ranks with Ed Sheeran as an MBE. Yeah. Yes. But unlike uh, Ed Sheeran, she was awarded an MBE um, to her for her service to drama and to people with disabilities. So yep. I think she earned it. Yeah, and apparently has not been in the the greatest of health in in 2021. So congratulations to to her in particular, but also to to Bill Roach. Yes, and and long may may her her health improve. We joke about the past two years being shit, but I can't can't imagine what it is like for someone who, in her position, who just cannot be outside. Oh, so many folk have had it much, much worse than us. Yes, yes. And we do recognise that. We do, we do. Unlike unlike our governments. <laughs> or so it would appear. Anyway, that's not this podcast. So congratulations Still. to both of them. Mozatov. Maybe maybe someday they'll they'll reach the, the heights of, of the likes of Maureen Lippmann and become a CBE. Commander of. Yes. And then the... Um, the night and the dame, I can't remember what B.E. Is that K.B.E.? K.B.E. is night, is the yeah. sir. Yeah. So, not Sir Barlow yet. Just Officer Barlow. Officer Barlow. Officer Barlow. So, Maureen Lippman is still... Were, were chaos to ensue, 
Maureen Lippman would be in command of the Coronation Street League of of fighters against the alien invasion. <laughs> if we're relying on the British Empire, I think... She would be taking uh, command. Uh, I think they're done. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, speaking of Ed Sheeran, Corey has had its Game of Thrones Starbucks Cup moment this week as Julia Golding's ITV pass lanyard was spotted during a scene at the Christmas market. Chuck it up to Shona's brain injury from when she was shot in the stomach. Eagle-eyed viewers took to Twitter. I know. To say, did you see that? Did you see that? How unprofessional. Oh. It's, it's quite amazing that it manages to sneak through, though. Yeah. Because the continuity people are they're typically pretty, pretty on the ball about that. Yeah. And it was just like you could just see like it wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't like hanging out of her coat. You oh. could just see a little bit of it at the side of her coat, which was the same color as her coat. So you'd think that that could have been very easily edited out in post production. Yeah. Quite funny when that sort of thing happens. Though. It is. It it, is. It's like when a character walks onto the set wearing a t-shirt that you sent them. <laughs> And that's Corey News. That is Corey News. And now, will podcast for coffee. Thank you to Australian Helen. Australian Helen? Wow. Australian Helen. We are everywhere. (laughs) Helen's all over the world. Helen's all over the world. Unite. Merry Christmas and wishing you the best for the new year, Helen writes. Thanks for your podcast and getting me through 2021. Oh, Helen from Melbourne in Australia. Officially now deemed to be Australian Helen. Yes. Thank you very much for that, Helen. We really appreciate it. We do. If you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. The talk of the street. What's your coffee in this week? Uh, the... My... Soothing, soothing pleasures are the best. Tea soothes the soul, and yet I'm drinking coffee out of it. That's a, a lot of verbiage on that mug. Yes, it's, I, it's not the it's not the uh, most verbose mug I have. I think my Eleanor Roosevelt mug is more verbose. Mm-hmm. So I've read shorter books, <laughs> and I'm drinking it in my talk of the street mug. <clears throat> Thanks again to Helen. Thank I, you, Helen. And now this. Welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Joe with the glass eye. Joe with a glass eye. Is, was that some guy in prison? That's right. This was where Peter was going to stay when you left the street. Oh, that's right. He was going to stay <laughs> with, Joe with, glass with eye. Joe with a glass eye. Except he didn't leave when he realised that he was kicking Carla out of her dad's pub. Yeah. I was Gavin, and you were only halfway here as you were Florida bound that weekend to America's America to take care of your dad. Yeah, remember when my dad had a heart attack? Yeah. And I had to go to Florida during the pandemic. So the next three. Truly terrifying. Right. The next three last year tonight's, I think you're in the bathtub. Yes, I am. You were waiting on a COVID test. You'd watch the show, so we might as well do that podcast. <laughs> this though was the first podcast recorded on this little fellow here, our Zoom Podtrack PA. Right, whose buttons you still can't keep track of. <laughs> and we had a fun wee game of sound effect tic tac toe. Oh, which we just said again. 
Kinda. Tim's dad's been dead for a couple of weeks, so the decision is made to bury him so that jokes can be made about him being trapped in the box. Now that everyone's forgotten why they were angry with Todd, he can expedite his latest stupid plan to oust Paul while making time for a cheeky game of Mysterium with Summer. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Emma and Toy are trapped in their own A Quiet Place as they attempt to do the dishes and keep Baby Mason asleep. Oh, Baby Mason, remember him? We never saw him. <laughs> Nick turns to Sam for advice on the intricacies of commercial real estate contract law. Asha threatens Dev with a Christmas tree decoration. Steve and Tim go to the toilets together. Tom needs to write up his report and Billy is surprised. Our moment of the week was Jasmine and Tim's reasons for not attending Tim's dad's funeral and our boring moment of the week was Daniel explaining about the lack of definite article in The Happy Mondays. Daniel picking up his first of many boring moments of the week from 2021 and Peter won the first two-second smile fade of the year. Yeah. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. We got so much to get through. We do. <clears throat> what I'm going to do first of all is just talk about what happened on Christmas Day. Oh, please do, because that was good. And then get into the stories that happened uh, later in the week. So on Christmas, we opened with Abby seeing Nina cleaning the outside of Roy's rolls. Abby knows they're not booze and buddies at the minute, but invites Nina around for a drink later. But Nina declines. She's expecting a call from Roy that she can simply not miss. No. I've kind of tried to group these into little stories. Ah. Uh, so Mrs Santa, Debbie, pops round with presents and an offer to help Christmas dinner. Abby and Kev weren't expecting this, assuming that Debbie would spend the day on her own in a rape hotel. <laughs> the more the merrier, says Abby though, and then Debbie has never seen or heard of again. She becomes Christmas dinner. <laughs> Eileen is round at the funeral parlour for a surprise. The undertaker has bought her funeral and gifted her with a coffin. So last week when I was saying, it sounds like he's measuring her up for a coffin. Like, what's your favourite wood? And... <laughs> And what height are you again? That's what he was doing. That's exactly what he was doing. So we were like, like half fuck? a dozen scenes in uh, the Christmas Day episode and already I'm laughing out loud. I thought that was hilarious. Eileen <laughs> thinks it's a curse and furiously promises to be thinking of him when she stuffs the turkey and she noisily storms off. Maybe that's what happened with Betty White. Somebody bought her a funeral. Or maybe it was just that she was 99. Yeah, maybe it was natural causes. <laughs> Asha has popped round to Nina's rolls with her present. Nina feels guilty because she hasn't got Asha anything. Asha has to leave for her Christmas dinner and Nina wants her to text her when she gets home. It's six feet away. So outside, Asha meets Carla and relates this Nina sadness, this Nina oddness to her. Asha is worried about Nina being alone and Carla thinks that Santa will have something to say about that. Ha <laughs> ha. So Nina's clearing up inside Nina's rolls, looking longingly at her phone that resolutely refuses to ring. And then she turns around. And who's standing in the cafe? <laughs> Batman! It's Batman, <laughs> dressed up as Roy. <laughs> and she runs to him across the, the little floor in the cafe. And the two of them hug, and not a word between them is uttered. And yeah. I had more than one tear in my eye at that moment. Right. Remember last week when you said, ah... Uh- if they do this, it's, it's kind of a letdown, isn't it? Because he just left. He did. And yet, and yet, not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, seen him It back. was effective. It was very effective. Yeah. And I think the fact that they didn't speak to each other, they just hugged, was mm-hmm. just... And that he just appeared at the door. You don't hear the bell ring or anything. No. Because he's Batman. <laughs> <coughs> Never kills anybody. No. Apart from all those people that he yeah. kills. 
So later, Nina and Roy have black hats and black goth crackers. Nina already looks and sounds better, and Roy realises that he was breaking his promise to her in Peru, and that's why he came home. Yes. He asks how honest she could be if he asked her how she was, and she opens up about her anxiety about people she loves being hurt, including him, by being near her. That's a load of piss, she says, <laughs> and you know it. Yeah, we've missed you, Roy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how almost instantly Nina just seems like the world has been lifted from her shoulders. Right, yeah. Just by seeing him back. Yeah. So I guess this means that he's back for good now. He's back back. Yeah, he's back back. He's not going back to Peru, which if I were the Peruvians that hired him, I'd be a little pissed. <sighs> going through all that, presumably immigration expense as well to right, get him across yeah. there. Yeah, which is not cheap. Immigration is not cheap. In Peru? Anywhere, I would imagine. It's not cheap. I don't know. I think maybe Peru is... What are you saying about Peru, my darling? I think they're more desperate for chefs than Manchester is, I think. <laughs> Famously. Hmm. Meanwhile, it's Christmas at number eight and David's birthday. It's always something that surprises me how many people have a birthday on Christmas Day or New Year's Day in uh, a world of soap. Because of all these births. And he's hilariously got a, a sweatshirt with, with Jesus on it saying, it's my birthday. We're going to party like it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, he he takes that off quite quite quickly, and it's not it is not seen again throughout the Christmas episode. And I was like, what happened to that jumper with Jesus on it? That was hilarious. Oh, we see lots of David. Yeah, we yeah, but we don't see the shirt. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's that's my complaint. He's put the turkey in the oven for Sarah, but it's come out looking like a skilled vet could revive it. David suggests browning it at the bistro, and also something to do with the turkey. Meanwhile, Audrey's dying to get wired into the booze until someone points out that it's like 6am. Yeah, it, it's, Gail says it, ma'am, it's, it's breakfast time. And she says, well, we can have toast with it. <laughs> Ken's, and then Ken's at the door complaining to Gail that Sarah's plans are far too early for him. Because and, he's full of granola and banana. And Gail stands and looks at him like, oh, and what do you expect me to do about right, that? Right, yeah, this is not my fucking do. This, was, <laughs> this is Sarah. At the bistro, Sarah's Christmas is already starting to fall apart. The turkey isn't cooked, the spuds aren't on, Max and Lily are refusing to leave the house, and Daniel has decided he'd rather have Christmas with Beth and Kirk. Yeah. And Sarah apparently has fucked Adam into a coma again. Audrey has accidentally opened a bottle of champagne and could not give a single fuck. Accidentally. Mm -hmm. David has managed to end up cooking Christmas dinner on his birthday for his own stinking family and a bunch of randoms. In the dining area, Carla and Peter have arrived on time and fuck all is happening except Audrey getting more and more lashed and Gail refuses to do anything to help. Yeah, as, and good for her. Good for her for sticking up for herself. I am, I am team Gail in this. I don't think David should be the one doing it. It should be fucking Sarah and Adam doing it. Right. And they do fuck all. I'm amazed that the the bistro would have paid somebody double time to do that for them, I would have thought. Well... Restaurants are open on Christmas Day, as we know. Yeah, well, some of them. But it seems like it's closed for a family event, and the only reason why they're having it there is because Nick is a part owner. Hilariously. Because none of the food... I mean, none of the food is bistro food until they start, you know... Cleaning out the bistro's food. <laughs> right. I quite liked how they, um, was it Shona and 
Audrey who yeah. to try and lock themselves in the freezer. Right. Who just focus this is impossible. Yeah. That's who the hell locks themselves in this freezer? Yeah. I think Sarah should have done certainly more than just sitting there complaining about how nobody was turning up. Right, yeah. And maybe woken Adam up instead of letting him sleep in. <laughs> this was their idea. This is their deal. Why are they not doing anything? I mean, as much as I love this, there's there's so much wrong with it. There's so much wrong with it. But I really enjoyed it. It gets a little bit uh It gets a little repetitive. Line. It gets a bit of stick online. There's been like yeah. a, kind of a weaker po- point of the the Christmas episodes but it, it made me it made me laugh especially when it's Steve that turns up at the bistro with Ken right who isn't a, a Barlow or a Platt no and he's married to Tracy obviously right, but yeah. Tracy doesn't turn up no Tracy and Amy are like fuck that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and Simon won't be around because they simply don't want to yeah Tracy, Amy and Simon didn't turn up just because they didn't want to right according to the script yes and Emma doesn't show up because she's still pissed at Steve but Ken has found his handbells, so it's not all good news. Yay! Nick, Leanne and Sam... Friend at our church would be happy about that. Yeesh. I've turned up, <laughs> but they are appraised of the situation by a pissed Shona who is bailing, and so Nick and Leanne decide to follow suit and head back home without stepping foot in the bistro. Yeah. Later, that was that was funny. They all kind of just look at one another and say... Nah. Nah. Later, the turkey was shite. Audrey wants to pour brandy on everything, and Ken's setting up his bells. Carla but not like that. Carla sees an opportunity to to use Nina being on her own as an excuse and she and Peter make a run for it. <laughs> in the kitchen, Sarah is sad that lots of people refuse to turn up and now everyone's leaving. Gail points out that it was supposed to be her idea and she's done fuck all to help. Right. Now, now serve the pudding before anyone else leaves because they're down to, I think, six at this yes. point. Ken is trying to divvy up his bells but Audrey's having none of it and no. leaves and Steve beats Gail to it to make sure that Audrey gets home. Yes. Okay, because she is. Right, yeah, he's got to go get a cab for her. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Yes. And it's only Ken, Gail, Sarah and Adam left, and Gail drags Ken away to the Rovers. Sarah and Adam have to place themselves again, get wired into what's left, and probably each other. And so ends Right, the, yeah, there's the an insinuation that some bum chicka bomb is going to happen right. in the bistro. So are they going to do it on the floor? On a table? In Nick's office? In the kitchen? In the bathroom? Everywhere. Everywhere. Don't don't be shining no black light in the bistro <laughs> dining room or anywhere in the bistro. In the freezer. I quite like I quite like this. I mean, we saw the I... we, we saw the, the the picture on that had been leaked mm-hmm. of just four of them round the table. And you think, well, where's everyone else got mm-hmm. to? And you think that, that people are going to turn up. Yeah. And the fact that they don't, or they only do it very briefly, it, it kind of made me chuckle. Yeah, I I thought they they really missed a trick here. We were really looking forward to seeing, you know, Tracy and David at the same table. and Daniel next to Max. Right, yeah. They, they, Max and Lily aren't there either because they're playing video games. They just refuse to leave the house. Yeah, because they've, they've got their Christmas presents. And it's like, well, wasn't this supposed to be a big family pr- party where you bring your presents there and everybody opens presents and stuff? There were no presents being opened or no. anything. It was just dinner. Right, And then it wasn't even really that because Sarah doesn't understand that when she's hosting something, she's supposed to be the one to set the table and make the food. Yeah, she was a bit brattish and all this. She really was. And that was kind of disappointing, too, because we've seen so much character development in her over the years, you know, where she seems 
sometimes to be the most responsible of Gail's children. And yet... It's the fact that this was her idea and right. she wanted this so much. Right. And so much of the previous weeks have been her mm-hmm. determined to make this happen. That when it is happening, right. and she, she seems to think that her responsibility is finished in it. Right, yeah. Like, she got it together, but everybody else is supposed to be the ones cooking and, and planning and plus, stuff. Plus, I think COVID plays some part in this, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but David in the kitchen... That was funny. Potatoes was, was pretty and, funny. And, and grinding pepper into things and right. stuff and just taking over. <laughs> right. That was pretty good. And, and complaining everywhere like a proper chef should do. Right. Every step of the way. Meanwhile, Evelyn's back. Yay! And she's suggesting fish cakes for Christmas dinner. Because it's just going to be her and, and Tyrone. Then Ruby and Hope come in with his, it's a Christmas miracle. Fizz has changed her mind about Scotland. Tyrone is thrilled. And then Phil with two L's comes in with emergency turkey. Mm-hmm. Later, Tyrone takes a little bit too much glee from Phil with two L's bracelet gift for Fizz, bringing her out in a rash. And Evelyn has to remind him that they gave up being their, on their holly bobs for him. Don't make them regret it by behaving like a total prick who refuses to wear his MSU Sparrows t shirt for a second time. <laughs> Tyrone goes on. <laughs> Tyrone goes out to check on the girls and finds Hope about to kill a pigeon. And eat it. <laughs> Tyrone reckons it's got a broken wing and then gets all nostalgic for Jack and Vera on classic Corey. She's she's going to uh she's gonna get a job at Willem Dafoe's Carnival in, in Nightmare Alley. Oof, that's a very <laughs> a very specific reference there. Guillermo del Toro has hope on speed dial. There's a title for a movie. <laughs> so Tyrone scoops it up. And one of Jack's carriers and takes it home, filled with two L's, to, takes one look at it and rushes out like he's scared of pigeons. And Tyrone still can't believe Fizz came home. She tells him to stop being an asshole to Phil then. Yeah, seriously. The pigeon has been named Vera, of which makes she it has. a pet. Tyrone thinks seeing the girls was the best present and not just the girls he's happy to see. He's also happy to see Fizz. And he leans in for a little kiss, but Fizz slaps him on the dick. Enough of that, she says. Yeah, seriously. Fuck off. So Phil with two L's and Tyrone have been left to do the dishes. Phil just wants to get along with them. Tyrone is honest. He's grateful for them cancelling their plans, but he's jealous of him and Fizz, and he admits to trying to kiss her earlier, but she told him that he was being an idiot. Phil with two L's seems to have reached his limit and demands satisfaction from Tyrone outside. Oh, this was hilarious. Slapping him with a marigold. That was funny. Yes. So outside... It was, it, it was a pink marigold as well. So outside, Tyrone and Phil with two L's fight, sort of. Kind of. <laughs> Not really. Do they have the inflatables yet? I think they get the inflatables after the whole water gun fight. I think it's just the miracles at this point. Mm-hmm. And then they steal Abby's boy twins water gun. It's like a Nerf one, you know, with the pumping action. Yeah. But not like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can stop. You can stop doing that now. <laughs> I think. I think we all get the, the idea about that. <laughs> And that was hilarious too, because because the boy is like, "Oi, that's that's mine," and so they give it back, and then he sprays both of them with it. That was hilarious. Right. I like the unicorn and the and yeah, and like the, and the Thor's big hammer, sword, which you know we're not trying to be. I would try to be too metaphorical there with a, a unicorn's horn and a and a, and a sword. M- mm. Might they just be waggling the dicks at each other? Just a wee bit. I think maybe just a little bit. Just That's a wee quite bit. funny. And it Phil, funny. because he's so much taller than Tyrone, is he's holding at arm's length. <laughs> he's holding 
grabbing him by the forehead. Let me at him. Let me at him. That was great. <laughs> so Fizz breaks up the fight, saying that she doesn't need her honour defended by Phil with twelves. And when Tyrone was with Miss Romania, she never challenged her to a mud wrestle in the street. Both of which are true points. Mm-hmm. She banishes the pair of them from the house for being stupid twats. And yet, and yet, you can tell that both Phil with two L's and and Tyrone kind of, kind of wish she had. Right. Meanwhile, at the Rovers, Daisy is looking awful. Jenny has decided not she's to. She's not wearing makeup. Has, and it's wearing sweats. Oh, but she's miserable as well. Right. Yeah, that's because she saw Daniel mm-hmm. sticking his tongue down Lydia's throat. She's decided not to open the pub and instead will spend the day with Rita. Daisy is appalled at the prospect of this, so decides to tidy up the pop-up in the market and make sure that the work needing done will fill the time that's available to do it so she doesn't have to spend any time whatsoever with Rita. Poor Rita. So Daisy, she's currently trapped under a Christmas tree as well. She is. So Daisy, Emma and Gemma aren't feeling the Christmas cheer at the pop-up and Daisy is struggling to move the barrels. And Gemma's wearing her jammies. Yeah. Gemma, though, has an idea to make this whole thing funner. I wonder what is her idea to make it funner? Yes. And easier to lift the barrel. Yeah. Drink the contents of the barrel. Yeah, empty it out. Yeah, so Gemma's idea seems to be open up the pop-up again and get lashed. It's already attracted the Undertaker and Todd because of the whole island situation. Right, yeah. And Nick and Leanne decide to drop in on their way home from the bistro. Right. And then Dev and Bernie meet up in the ginnel. She's pissed that Gemma didn't get milk and got pissed with Daisy instead. And he's pissed that Asha and Addy got him a life-size cutout of his nutty calendar shot. <laughs> the two of them scamper off to the pub. Which we don't get to see! I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, no, do we? No! We don't see it at the end? No! Oh, I thought we saw it at the end. No. On Sadly, way, no. They run into Ed, who's been kicked out of the house for pointing out plot holes in Die Hard. So I would have kicked him out too. So he joins their gang and later Dev and Bernie have a bit of a snog. Also, God bless the Baileys for acknowledging that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. If Die Hard's a Christmas movie, then Lethal Weapon's a Christmas movie. Okay. More I have no more, problem with that. More and more residents are joining the outdoor pub. Billy and Summer are there. Peter and Carla have joined. And now the piano's getting moved from the rovers to provide some musical entertainment in the shape of Billy. Mm-hmm. And Billy goes through his Christmas repertoire and even Jenny joins in when she passes by. And while there are still some pained people in the street, yeah. Undertaker feels that he's fucked things with Eileen. Todd is still in love with Billy. Emma is still angry with Steve. It seems that these things can wait for tomorrow. Yes. And that was Christmas. Yeah. And it was Jenny fabulous. Does that, Jenny does that hilarious thing where she shows up and everybody goes quiet. Ding, 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 ding. And everybody's like... What is she going to do? And she's like, do you mean to tell me that you opened up and you're giving away free beer? Well, I have just one thing to say to you. And then she names us. Party on, Wayne. (laughs) Party on, Garth. And so they party on. They do. And that was Christmas. That was delightful. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the whole way through. Written by Damon Rochford. I thought he did a, a great job of just ignoring pulling things out of his sack <laughs> ignoring lots of things yeah <laughs> ignoring aspects of the plot that had happened up to then that can wait that can wait until boxing day or can mm-hmm. wait until the next week and right. let's just have a merry christmas a merry christmas which and is what we all needed yeah and i think i think even more fun than uh last year last year yes because yeah i'd really enjoyed it it was it was good. It was just warm yeah. and it was 
it was funny and even the bits that people were complaining about like the the plot Barlow Christmas and the, the Tyrone and Phil with two L's fight See, I liked the Phil. I liked the Tyrone and the Phil fight. I laughed so much. Oh, at I laughed that. as well. I was again a little disappointed with the Barlow plot family Christmas dinner thing because I, I just feel like they could have done so much more with it. But like you pointed out, COVID is still a thing. Yeah, and Omicron have. spreads very quickly, and we we have Audrey and and Ken and Gail's health to think of. Yeah, we couldn't have like all the characters available right in the bistro at the same time it just it was never going to happen no it was how they, they dreamed up ideas for reasons why people haven't shown up for it right or that why kind of or me. why some characters would be in the kitchen right yeah and shona just <laughs> just being new shona and just no nah, yep. no nope. i'm off yeah <laughs> fair enough no i, I thought they did gotta a, go check on the kids i thought they did a great job uh it was it was heartwarming. It was funny. Roy's return was, I think, expected, but no less uh, emotional because of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. We were both kind of. It's funny because, as I pointed out last week, we were both kind of like, ah, if he shows up, that's just kind of what's the point of him leaving? Mm-hmm. But then once he showed up, we were both quite happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he had a haircut, so he looked a little different. He did. Yeah. It worked. Moving on to the regular uh, storylines then. Oh. <laughs> on Do we have to? Yeah. We just stay at Christmas all year long. Let's talk about Silent Sam for a few paragraphs. Okay, yeah, no, this was good. On Sunday, Fizz is at the bistro and she compares notes with Nick about Christmas. Hope is chatting away to Sam about Vera the Pigeon. Nick is happy to see Sam engage with someone. Fizz would give a million pounds for her to shut the fuck up every once in a while. <laughs> so Nick cancels Fizz. He doesn't really. No. But he goes on to tell Leanne how Hope didn't really care that Sam wasn't responding. It was like Leanne talking to Nick. Yeah, and then Nick was (laughs) cancelled. Leanne suggests a play date which gives Nick something to obsess over. So Sam has got his hands on one of Hope's walkie-talkies that she got for her her Christmas. which Which forces Sam to break his silence as he responds to her, which Nick and Leanne hover in the background determined to ruin this moment by making too big a deal out of it. But Nick makes a big deal out of it, and Sam retreats back into his silent world. Leanne advises patience. and Which she has been doing all along. Yeah, for weeks. And later at home, Nick apologises to Sam for putting pressure on him earlier. It's just that he misses his, their chats, he says, putting more pressure on them. Nick wants Sam to feel safe and loved. Friends, he says, and Sam nods. Mm-hmm. And that's all that happens with that this and week. And he smiles a wee bit. Yeah. Which was nice. Yeah, I think that's very smart to put Hope and Sam together. Yeah. I think I think they're a delightful pair together with Hope just jabbering on about Vera the pigeon and everything. And then Sam very sweetly, that's what he wants to talk about on the on the walkie. He's asking how Vera's doing. Right. Which is so cute. Yeah, he looks a little maybe a little forced into it. Not by anyone other than the situation that mm-hmm. it's pointless having a walkie talkie. Right. If you're not going to do... The talkie part. The talkie bit, yeah. So that kind of forces him to say something, which I guess is a is a start. It is a start. So, yeah. Nick really just needs to back off, though. He, j- <sighs> he just is constantly ruining things. The two of them hanging about in the background yeah. as, as this is going on. Yeah, just all, hovering. <laughs> just leave him alone. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, 
his mum's dead. Right. It's their, it's his first Christmas with, without his mum. Yes. This is bound to be hard for him. Yes. Having the additional pressure of Nick wanting to have conversations about stars or whatever with him, it's just something that he doesn't need. And no. It's... Kind of ridiculous. Yes, he needs to leave it to Hope and the Undertaker. Leanne needs to stop advising patients, though, and just advise he back off. Right, which is kind of what she's doing by advising patients. Yeah, maybe. And, and not being rude about it. But I think maybe she needs to start being rude about it. Right. Moving on then, our next storyline this morning is Nina Attack. On Sunday, in Nina's roles, Roy has noticed that Nina is ignoring Asha's texts, inviting her to a family dinner at the bistro. He tells her that if she wants this relationship to succeed, she mustn't ignore problems and she should tell Asha about her anxieties. So Nina has gone round to see Asha and explains about her anxiety issues. She tries to live in the moment, but she just can't shake it. Something terrible is going to happen to Asha. Creepy much, says Asha. Mm -hmm. Nina promises to be more honest in the future, but she feels like she's cursed. So Asha grabs her phone and shares her location with Nina. Boom. (sighs) Sorted, she says. Now you will always know where I am. Yes. I wonder if that will come back to haunt her at some point. Probably. On Monday, Nina has spent the night at Asha's. She's feeling better now that she's unburdened her soul. And Asha takes it upon herself to nurse Nina back to full strength by shopping. And Nina and Asha have gone antiquing for a gift for Roy. Back at the cafe, Roy can smell something mouldy, allowing Nina to sneak the package in unseen. And later, she presents him with the gift. It's a special chess set from the 1936 Nottingham Chess Tournament, considered the best ever. And I looked this up, because of course I did. Uh-huh. And it is. It's deemed to be one of the best tournaments of chess ever. Wow. I, I'm not sure why, <laughs> but it's definitely a thing. One of the white knights is missing from the set, so Nina replaced it with a tiny brass train. Aww. And Roy is fair made up, so they start playing a game. Yes. Which Roy wins. Of course. I'm kind of pleased that he doesn't let her win. Yep. Letting anybody win just isn't I, in Roy's I can't imagine psyche. Roy letting anyone win. And it's not from a point of being overly competitive. No. It's just from of being a point honest. Of honest, right? Yeah. Asha comes in, pleased to see Nina looking better, which Nina puts down to her and gives her her gift. And it's a Nina-drawn pen and ink picture of her and Asha in the style of the awful said picture that was in the memorial garden. But Nina's... It's better better than the picture of Seb, though. Well, because it's not in brick, I guess, but it's clearly the same person who's done both. Well, yeah, Nina. Well, somebody pretending to be Nina, maybe. But Nina's joie de vivre is short-lived as she starts to panic when Asha's gone for five minutes to pack an overnight bag. And Nina now feels stupid for thinking that she was getting better. Asha tells her that she is getting better and it's one day at a time. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes, because Asha's been to many A meetings. <laughs> right. <sighs> Asha and her drink problem. We don't yeah. explore that very much. I'm glad it's being addressed. I'm glad this whole Nina panicking whenever anybody she loves is out of the room has been addressed. I'm glad she's talking about it now. It makes it feel, you know, a bit more managed and we're getting there. I definitely would have rather to have more Nina and Roy and less Nina panicky. It's it's part of the storyline. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's an odd development in the storyline though. Don't you think? No. You don't think? No. It, 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 I find it perfectly reasonable that she would be experiencing PTSD in this way. It, I think it's, it's taking its time. 
Well, I guess these things do take their time, don't they? Right. Yes. And let's remember, it was only just re-triggered last week. Or was it two weeks ago when Kelly was attacked? Oh, yeah, it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. So this is kind of a brand new development in her PTSD. Because at first her PTSD was that she couldn't remember anything. And then she started to remember too much. And then she was sort of managing that. But then the whole Kelly thing triggered her again. Yeah, And let's also remember... She hasn't gotten any professional help for this. <laughs> no, she hasn't. Not, not, not one single ounce but of it, professional help. Where there has been an improvement, though, is that uh, she's no longer seen the world through the little blue filter that's... Uh, that's looking at her. Yeah. That, that's, she's got over that bit of it. Yes, she's lost her golem. <laughs> Which is good. Yes. <laughs> the next storyline this morning is Eileen's Smashing Christmas a.k.a. Eileen in a Box. On Sunday, The Undertaker goes to see Eileen, but she's gone for a walk. The Undertaker didn't realise the situation was so grim. <laughs> just forced right, Eileen to that, go for that, a walk. That, that Eileen would walk. He wanders away sadly and would discover that Eileen is in the house after all, hiding. And not walking. No. Of course she didn't go for a walk. Todd encourages her to forgive The Undertaker for buying a funeral for Christmas. It begins to sound like most of this was from someone else's idea anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, we knew that. And it wasn't Todd's idea. No. So whose idea could it have been? Hmm. So who is the one person, who is the only person the Undertaker asked for help in picking out I a gift I still don't know why he asks Gail, but a furious Eileen tracks Gail down to the rovers. It seems this funeral for a Christmas present was all her idea. Gail maintains that it was a great present, but Eileen calls her deranged and Todd has to pull her off. But not like that. And Gail laughs as soon as Eileen's back is turned. <laughs> I know. This has been a calculated... <laughs> A calculated a suggestion. calculated suggestion. Right. It's just hilarious. On Monday, Eileen is still moping about The Undertaker's gift. It's over between them again, again, again. She's had enough. Todd calls it an error of judgment on his part and urges her to reconsider. Because he was having fun with the whole stupidity of the idea as well, it seems. Yes. At the funeral parlour, The Undertaker's upset with Todd for agreeing that his present filing was a great idea. Todd thought everyone would have seen the funny side by now. And in comes Eileen at this, looking for a word with George. Eileen says that she wanted something that she'd enjoy. The Undertaker thinks that she would have enjoyed it when she's dead. I know, yeah. And he, he's like, you would enjoy it because it's so soft and, and there's a sachet inside and everything. And it's like, do you not understand death? <laughs> Mr. Undertaker. Mr. Undertaker. This is fucking weird, says Eileen. It felt like a death threat, which I can totally see if yeah. you're... Somebody buys you a coffin enough, you know, for your Christmas. Yeah. It definitely feels like a threat. The Undertaker admits that he got carried away after thinking of them growing old together. Oh. And this seems to melt Eileen and the relationship is back on again, 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 again. Again. So the Undertaker takes Eileen to the Rovers to give her an alternative present. It's an ITV puffer puffer jacket <laughs> that she can wear on her stroll to the bistro later for a slap up meal. And this, cocktails. This, says Eileen. This is more fucking like it. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with that. Yes. Kind of filler. A bit of filler. A bit of filler. I'm getting... Funny. Uh, can, they, can they stop breaking up and then getting back together again? Yeah. This, this is, does feel like it's the fifth or the sixth time. Yeah. And this is something Eileen does with all of her relationships ever since, you know, the death of her serial killer husband who she always brings up in these arguments mm-hmm. 
don't forget I was married to a serial killer. I don't think anybody forgets that you were married to a serial killer, Eileen. No, it's going to take some time for that to fade from people's <laughs> memories, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean... You'd think that she would want people to forget. You'd think that she'd want to forget. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think that's what it is? Do you think it's just the... She doesn't... She has trust issues, obviously. Yeah, she's which, got huge trust issues, which, is which I can fair. kind of understand. But we go through this with all of her relationships because she was like this with Jan, too. And I mean, yes, she was right, kind of, to mm. not trust Jan. Yeah. Because he was lying to her, but he was lying to her for a good reason. Yeah, she had to Eileen smash him, didn't she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the Rachel character, she yes. Eileen smashed her as well. Yes. Maybe she just needs to Eileen smash the Undertaker and get it out of her system. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm, sure the WWE would welcome him back with open arms. Right. Yeah, he's getting on a little bit now. Oh, well. stop Hulk Hogan. It should. <laughs> Let's move on then to Vera the Pigeon. On Sunday, Tyrone goes round to Fizzy's. Phil with two L's pretends that he's still pissed off with Tyrone, which was lovely. And as they all wait for Fizz to come back from Chesney's, Phil, Tyrone and Evelyn share some top quality New Joyzy banter. You found that top quality, did I you? I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I did not. Oh, why not? I, I felt that it was stereotypical of, of New Jerseyans. Yeah, They're not and, all mobsters. And, and people in that show who are. It's like when Americans do very, very poor Scottish accents pretending to be Shrek. That gets old after a while, doesn't it? I don't think that happens very often, does it? It used to happen to you all the time. People used to call you Shrek. Remember that? That used to be your nickname in town was Shrek. Well, from a couple of people. (laughs) It was maybe my devilish good looks that were doing that. I don't know. (laughs) Remember when you were Shrek for Halloween and and one kid said that your accent wasn't very good? That you didn't sound Scottish at all? Oh shit bag. <laughs> anyway, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Phil and Tyrone pretending to still be Mad at, at loggerheads with each other. And I liked uh, Tyrone sitting in his chair doing his little Tony Soprano impersonation. Right, yeah. Well, and it was all, you know, started by Evelyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grand, do your, do your Tony Soprano impersonation. <laughs> So Fizz, Tyrone, Hope and Ruby are in the community garden ready to release Vera the Pigeon. Yes, because miraculously, after one day, her wing is fine. I don't think it was a broken wing. Hope wants her to find her old family, and so does Tyrone. Fizz thinks it's important that new families are allowed to form and make their own memories together. Yes, because pigeons have such big brains. Hint, hint. (laughs) On Monday at Fizzy's, everyone is heading to the Christmas market, which is still a thing. Evelyn is pleased to hear that Tyrone and Phil with two L's seem to have buried the hatchet and not on each other's backs. So the gang land at a conquer stall that we haven't seen before and Hope encourages Phil to buy some. The vendor remarks that Phil has lovely daughters, which flusters him and fizz a bit as they awkwardly say thanks and move on. Tyrone drops in to see his gran. Evelyn congratulates Tyrone on his sudden maturity vis-a-vis Phil with two L's until he remarks that he's just biding his time until Fizz gets bored and the relationship runs its course and then he's ready to move back in again. Ugh. There's a reason why Phil doesn't have kids of his own, says Tyrone. Evelyn calls him delusional. So Phil and Fizz are hitting the mulled wine, talking about him being mistaken for the kid's dad. He was caught off guard and didn't want to call himself their stepdad, but he's so great with them that Fizz is more than happy for him to call himself that. Hmm. Stepdad? Well, if they got married, that's what he would be. Yeah, but they're not married. Not yet. 
it's it's weird. I, I find it odd that Fizz is willing to make some big steps in this relationship, but not others. Well, she was put off by his mum. Yes. She says. Yes, and I can understand that. But they haven't been going out for all that long. I think it's just a little bit early for him to be anything other than Phil. It's been like six months. No, it hasn't. It, yeah. No, it hasn't. He's been around for quite some time now. I don't think he's been, I don't think they've been together for six months. And even if they have, I think, to call him stepdad. I don't know. It just, it just feels off. Hmm. Back home, Phil Wattiels gets a bad text. His prospective house has fought, failed its survey because of its roof. The now, house, did we know about this house before now? I don't think so. No. So, the house had a massive garden for the girls and he was going to get a goat. It's such a pain in the tits, he says. And all this gets Fizz thinking that she reckons a big garden and a goat are well beyond her expectations as she was a kid from care, but it sounds so fancy now. Phil insists that she deserves the best goat in the world. He loves staying with her and the girls and he'd live with them in a heartbeat, although he knows that's not what Fizz wants right now. Right. But Fizz may have changed her mind. Right, once she heard about that goat. And asks to see the house in question. I don't think she should be motivated all, by a house in this. All, all it takes is is, is a goat right. <laughs> and a garden, and she's she's in, right? Especially since it wasn't that long ago that she was like, "Yeah, I don't think I'm ready for us to move in together," but now she is, right? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think her motivation is kind of for the wrong reasons. Yeah, a little bit. Tyrone comes along looking for a griddle and spots Phil cracking open a bottle of champagne. Celebrating, asks Tyrone. Phil leaves, which allows Fizz to explain that she and Phil with two L's are moving in together. Tyrone suddenly gets literally hot under the collar and seems dead jelly when the goat is mentioned. Ty worries about the distance, but Fizz says it's ten minutes on the tram. Tyrone swallows his pride and says that she and the girls deserve the best. So later, Fizz goes to see Ty at the flat to give him the griddle. She wanted to thank him for his words earlier. She wants to pay her way in the new home, and she doesn't have anything except number nine. Ty is understanding, but says that he can't afford to buy her out. But Fizz wants to sell. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like she's talked to Phil with two L's about this yet. No. Because it kind of seems like Phil with two L's is okay with buying the house himself like he doesn't need any extra money well, to buy this house to. right maybe she should talk to phil with two l's before putting her house up for sale she wants to have her name on the deeds she wants us to be a joint venture right it can be a joint venture without without putting money in that's kind of confusing because she wants to avoid the situation that she's in now where she's put money into number nine right but doesn't have her, her name, name on, on the deeds the, yeah but the fact that she's lived there with him in what could be described as a matrimonial home right, gives her some rights. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think she has... And he has never tried to kick her out. No, she's ha- he's happy for her... To stay there. I can see her point where that isn't the greatest place on earth for her to stay. Right. But I don't know. And I also think that if Ty really wanted to, he could get a mortgage on that place. Uh, presumably he's not paying a mortgage just now. Right, yeah, because because Jack and Vera gave him that house. Right, so, so he's never had to pay on it. So he could probably do something to get right. some kind of loan using that house as equity and, and pay her off. And I don't understand how Evelyn has no money. 
that makes no sense to me that Evelyn has nothing yeah. that she and Tyrone can go together and, and buy this house. Yeah, we'll get into some of the more uh, uh, minutia of the detail here as we move into Tuesday with some swearing. Mm. At the garage, Evelyn takes Tyrone some lunch. He talks to her about Fizzy's plans to sell up and how Phil with new house looks like it's about to fall down, although it sounds quite extensive. Evelyn begins to worry what's to become of her. So Tyrone goes to see Fizz. He's had a wee think and he's decided that he can sell the smoke-ridden flat and give Fizz any profit. There's Although maybe, it looks like they finally painted over the smoke <laughs> damage. There's maybe 15 grand's worth of profit that she can have all of it and move in with Phil with two L's and he can move back into number nine. Which seems reasonable. It does seem reasonable. But Fizz says fuck Especially that. since Phil with two L's does not need any money. <laughs> Hasn't asked for any money. No. Fuck that, says Fizz. After everything she's putting at that house... I guess she demands more than 15,000 number nine will be sold she says pronto now see again because I forgot that Tyrone was in the process of uh, and had bought that flat well I I think it's news to everyone that he now owns it right because I think doesn't Alina own part of that well Alina's fucked off so I, I assume that her name is still somewhere unless who knows but if he can sell it and pay off that mortgage and still have 15 grand left, that's enough for a down payment on number nine. And then he could get a mortgage for the rest. Right. So, so he could buy he could number, buy nine, number nine, nine himself. Yeah. Which is pretty much what I'm saying when he gets a loan on, right. on the equity on the house. Right. right. Yeah. This, this does not have to be this hard. No, we're making this needlessly complicated. Yes. Tyrone is moping around in the yard of number nine when Evelyn comes out. He reminisces about Jack and Vera and can't imagine a new family living there. He's sorry that Evelyn has got caught up in all this, but then Vera the pigeon returns and Ty takes this as a sign to tell well, Fizz to fuck off. A pigeon returns. A pigeon. Whom he assumes is Vera. Fizz is in the rovers. Well, hope, Hope's nose starts when they eat that pigeon. <laughs> Fizz is in the rovers with Chesney talking about the new house and selling number nine. And Ches is surprised. The house means so much to Tyrone, this is going to break his heart. Should have thought of that before fucking that Romanian, says Fizz. <laughs> and she doesn't see why she should be the one to compromise here. But then Tyrone storms in and announces that Fizz can go and GTF if she thinks that he's selling. It's his house. It's in his name. He doesn't have to sell, so he won't. And she accuses him of destroying the kid's future. Evelyn comes in and sends Tyrone back to work. She says that she'll talk with Fizz. And Fizz brings up a good point. She's like, you know, yes, he had happy memories with Jack and Vera there, but he also had the shit kicked out of him by by Ruby's mum in that house. So there are bad memories there too for him. Yeah, I think it's okay for Tyrone to swallow down those bad memories and think of it as a happy home. I think that's all right. Meh. I mean, you have good and bad memories no matter where you live, don't you? Yeah, not necessarily ones of being no having the shit kicked out of you, though. Sure. Elon tries to explain to Fizz about the importance of Tyrone's history with that house, but Fizz points out that it was a family home and he broke that family up. The house meant as much to her as it did to him, which I'm not sure is true. No. And Ty has made a mockery of all that. Evelyn begins to look swayed. Fizz says that she's got to get away. She can't think of the future while she's living in the wreckage of the past. And that I can understand, but you don't have to sell the house. Back in Tyrone's flat, 
Evelyn explains that she's Team Fizz now, even if it doesn't suit her. She said she asks if he'd be this stubborn if it was still if he was still with Alina Pop. And, and that's a good point. And he kind of seems to realise that how good that point is. Yeah. And furthermore, she says, "What would Jack and Vera think about all this?" And Ty knows that they'd be disappointed in them. Do the right thing, then says Evelyn. So Tyrone goes to number nine to see Fizz and to confirm that he'll agree to sell up after all. It's the right thing to do and what Jack and Vera would have wanted them to do. Fizz thanks him, recognising how hard that must have been. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, yeah the, the, the movement of property and businesses around the, the ownership as it moves from character to character it's it's never the most interesting part of the drama, so the show kind of skips over it, mm-hmm. and you know, deeds are Unless exchanged. Unless they make it this huge plot point. Sign, signatures are good enough to do whatever, in mm-hmm. a, a period of 24 hours, a pub can change hands and, and all that sort of thing. Right. So, I think it's in keeping that we don't linger too much on who is actually in the right here, and who has what rights. Mm-hmm. I would think that Tyrone probably has more say in this given that the house is in his name right yeah I don't think Fizz is without a voice in this because she's lived there for so long as his partner I think right. that gives her some rights. but again nobody seems but, to have thought that to ask Phil with two L's what he thinks of this because he may say what the hell are you doing we don't need that money your name can be on the deed no problem right not a big deal you know it's fine and also 15 grand would be fine because I'm already fine with buying this house on my own. I don't need the extra money. She should say, this 15 grand's probably going to fix your roof. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, have that. Right. If she wants to... It feels more like her wanting to be in the right again yeah. than it than has to anything else because uh, the fact that she brings up Alina again... And everything in a way like, well, I, you know, it's my right because I'm the wounded party. I thought we were over that at this point. You know, this is dredging up the ghost of Alina just to get your way. Yeah. More than anything. The only person who has a good point as far as Alina is concerned is Evelyn. Mm -hmm. Because she's absolutely right. If Alina was still in the picture... Tyrone would be more than happy to sell number nine and and live happily ever after in that flat. Right. Or, or again, buy number nine. Right, which he can still do. Back from himself. Right, yeah. I think his, his offer, the 15 grand for selling the flat, is... Was more than reasonable. More than reasonable. A little ludicrous that he's made 15 grand on that so quickly. Right. And it, it's been on fire <laughs> for part of that time. Right. But... That offer, I think, was was more than reasonable. Fish should have bitten his hand off for it, right? And, and but be, no, and be because done with it. because and again, it's more about being right, yeah, than anything. And maybe it's also a little bit about winning. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, then our next storyline is the return of Sinkhole Leo. Yay! Really? Really? Yay! On Monday, I like Leo. At the Rovers, Daisy somehow challenges Jenny to a splits competition when Sinkhole Leo comes in, thinking <laughs> Jenny is hiding from him because everything has to be about Sinkhole Leo. Jenny must have 
That was funny though. Help to her feet because next we see she's upright and Leo is wondering why he hasn't heard from her in so long and asks her out tomorrow. Jenny says that she'll get back to him and Daisy is disappointed in Jenny's lack of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Jenny tells Daisy that she's still worried about the age difference. She doesn't understand him half the time. Plus, she doesn't like him. She's looking for different things. Daisy doesn't buy it for a minute and tells her that she deserves to have fun. So on Tuesday, Cinco Leo, who I think I preferred before Horror Nation Street, is taken through the back, but not like that, by mm-hmm. Daisy, while Jenny is lounging out reading Hiya. <laughs> He's come to invite her on a date to watch him play rugby league. What a dick. It's fine. It's it's like... C- come watch me do something I enjoy doing. Right. So? You've, you've never done that for a woman before? On your first date? It's not really their first date. They've gone on date. Didn't they go on a date before Johnny died? Pretty sure they did. They went out to dinner. They did. They went out to dinner and Johnny saw them and got jelly. They have had a dinner date before this. This is not their first date. It's still early doors to be taking someone to watch you play sport. Well, it's it's like, you know, you're getting to know one another and you want to say, this is something I'm interested in. Come and see this thing that I am interested in. We can't talk during it. You can just stand passively and watch me. Uh, That's a dick move. <laughs> Jenny would rather pull her eyeballs out, rightly so, but Leo and Daisy talk her into it. As Jenny's getting ready, Ronnie, who still lives at the Rovers, let's remember, of course he does. comes in and reckons rugby is just a game for people who can't play football. And he's right. Give Sigwell <laughs> Leo five years and he'll look like roadkill. Jenny leaves in a huff. So Jenny and Cinco Leo are back from, at the Rovers from the rugby league game. Jenny seems to have had a marvellous time yes. and gotten a warning from the referee. Yes. Cinco Leo starts talking about her tackle and Daisy goes off to vomit. <laughs> Through the back, Jenny apologises for blown hot and cold, but she's full blown hot now and so the two of them head off to get their hole. Uh-huh. On Friday, early in the morning, Jenny is putting on her makeup so that Cinco Leo will think that she always looks at this when she wakes up. <laughs> and then... And- Daisy creeps down the stairs the, with a water gun and, I, and at first you just see the shadow and I'm like, oh God, another gun on the street. But it's it's the second water gun we've seen this week. Right. Later, Cinco Leo is off to a New Year's party and because Jenny's had sex with him, she's now behaving pos- possessively as he leaves, half expecting him to get his hole off of someone else tonight. And Jenny is ready to give up on Ben again later when Cinco Leo and his buddies land on the rovers. The town was busy and they decided to celebrate the new year and somewhere dead instead. So they came to the rovers. Right. Cinco Leo's mate is thrilled to meet Jenny, who Leo has done nothing but bang on about for weeks. But not like that. So, oh? so Jenny and Cinco Leo see in 2022 with a passionate smooch outside in the back in the rovers. With Aww. him saying that he re- really wanted to see it in with her. Yes. And that's nice. He's nice. I find him very untrustworthy now. He's lovely. Is it because he did such a bad job with the sinkhole? It's not his fault that Johnny jumped down that sinkhole and that everybody was like running around freaking out and not listening to him. He was telling people what to do and was being perfectly reasonable, but everybody refused to listen to him. I don't know. This whole come watch me play rugby has really put a beam my bonnet about him. I really don't like him now. I see no and problem I, and I with don't it. Trust them. I've I've gone I've gone to many garages early in relationships to watch people play guitar poorly. I have no problem with this. But if you're interested in music, that that's 
I think that's better than watching a sport that you're not interested in. Yeah, but it's a sport. It's not necessarily a sport she's not interested in. Well, she, she says just, that she's not interested in it. She just doesn't know anything about it. Hmm. And she has fun. It turns out she has fun. So what's the problem, caller? Yeah, it, it feels like it's just lost any any credibility with me. <laughs> I just I don't like him. Rugby is where you draw the line. I think rugby doesn't help, certainly, but I think I'd probably feel the same way if it was football. Maybe not as much. I don't know, I there's like something him. about him that just doesn't doesn't rub well with me. <sighs> but not like that. <laughs> oh well. Is it just because, you know, all the other well, no, not even all the other. Just one of the drop in boyfriends has proved to be untrustworthy. Silvis Tuels is still trustworthy. It's only Curtis that has proved to be untrustworthy. No, it's got nothing to do with any of them. I just think that I think I prefer Jenny to be with Ronnie. Well, Ronnie's with Debbie, so yeah. that's not going to happen. So, so we're led to believe. We never see it. We do. When was the last time you saw Debbie with Ronnie? Uh, Thanksgiving? Some time ago then. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, I don't know. Because, she, because Ronnie mentions Debbie, that Debbie is yeah. doing something else, so that's why he's alone for New Year's. Yeah, he's, he talks about not spending time with Somebody he's supposed to be going out with a new year. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just Well again, let's let's remember all the trauma Debbie's family has been through. I can understand Ronnie saying, you know what, I don't wanna horn in on your family trauma. I'll There's something about out. Leo that just doesn't stack up for me. And we'll see if I'm proved to be right or wrong. In the meantime, let's move on to oversharing Sarah. <laughs> On Tuesday, Sarah goes to see Adam at the law office. He's still working on some boundary dispute case. and She's disappointed that he skipped a prospect of knocking her up earlier that morning. Sarah's biological clock is ticking, but Adam needs to work and drink some milk. <laughs> Sarah and her BFF, Lydia, are in the Rovers. Sarah's pleased that the two have been able to remain friends after her fling with Adam years ago. Fling? shouts Lydia. London? But she quickly London. backtracks and pretends to be cool when she leaves. Daisy comes in, and in the discussion, Sarah reveals how Lydia is dead and to Daniel, which Daisy isn't happy about. No. Back at the law office, Sarah tells Adam about Lydia being upset at her relationship with Adam being described as a fling. Adam, quite rightly, isn't responsible for the thoughts in his ex's head and couldn't care less. He'd rather talk about going away to a hotel for New Year's. There may even be fireworks, he says. Which brings <laughs> us on to this week's hard debate. <laughs> Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. As we approach the new year and the flowing of champagne and nostalgia, which character do we think is most likely to get pregnant first in 2022? Your options were Sarah, Lydia, Abby or Vera the Pigeon. <laughs> I don't think I voted in this. I and, thought there was another one that you did. And there was... A spell where Vera the Pigeon was in second place. It was fairly close, I would say. In fourth place is Vera the Pigeon. Oh, oh no. Uh, sorry, in fourth place is Lydia with 7.9%. See, I thought I thought the storyline where we're going to hear is that he's trying to knock up Sarah, he can't, and he ends up knocking up Lydia instead. Because I thought the whole storyline was that he already knocked Lydia up right. and that she's walking Maybe. around with his kid or Maybe. who she thinks is his kid. That was the option that was just thrown out there. And 
hardly anybody picked up on it. Lydia, 7.9%. In third place, Vera the Pigeon with 21.1%. Sarah, which is hilarious. It's funny that people voted for that. In second place was Sarah with 23.7%. And the winner with a stonking 47.4% is Abby. I think that's because people voted after. This the spoilers. question is worded very specifically. Who will get pregnant first in 2022? So if someone is already pregnant moving into 2022... It doesn't count? It doesn't count. Hmm. So. Interesting. Thankfully, none of this matters. No. So on Friday, at Debbie's Rape Hotel, Adam is upset because Sarah has packed for a fortnight's holiday rather than a dirty night away. And Sarah's disappointed that Adam hasn't packed at all and hasn't made any effort whatsoever and apparently is wanting to go out in the clothes that he's wearing. Which is a typical guy thing. She did pack some pants and socks for him, though. And his toothbrush. Yeah. Having drinks at the bar, the bartender somehow remembers Adam as the bloke who forgot his wallet that time he shagged Carla, which I think maybe back in March or April? It's a long time ago. Last year? In 2021. Was it 20... No, I thought it was in 2020. Was it as long ago as that? It's been a long time. It was before Peter's liver transplant. Around about that time, wasn't it? It was before the liver transplant. But round about that time, and that was this year. No, because it, it, was, it was more than just a little bit before that, because that was the whole thing where... Peter was pushing her away. Right, yeah, where Peter was like, no, I don't want your liver because you slept with my wife. I'm pretty sure it was 2021. It doesn't matter, it was but a long it was, time ago. It was a long ago. time ago anyway, and this random waiter has remembered it. Yeah. Somehow. Because plot. Sarah seems determined not to enjoy herself and brings up the Lydia thing again, the Carla thing, and is appalled that the only reason Adam brought her here was because he won a voucher on one of her treatments, which was it's quite funny. <laughs> the voucher thing was hilarious because it keeps getting brought up. In the room, Sarah is still going on about the fling with Lydia. The getaway has been a bust and Sarah has had enough. Adam is furious. He spent 200 quid on this and he's wasted a voucher. <laughs> Back home, Peter thinks Adam's predicament is hilarious. Yes. Peter asks Ken for his opinion on whether six months constitutes a fling, but then dismisses him because Ken's had more flings in his day than Eccles' old frisbee. <laughs> Ken tells Adam to make it up with Sarah. It's New, it's New Year's Eve for fuck's sake. I, lo- I love the that Eccles gets a mention and also that Eccles' portrait is like yeah. lined with Christmas garland yes. on, the, on the headboard there. So Lydia meets Sarah in the Rovers. She's there with Daniel, who Sarah points out slept with her daughter while his wife was dying. Context, shouts Daniel. Can people remember context? <laughs> Fucking Barlow's, shouts Sarah. There's your context. Yeah. So Adam goes to find Sarah and apologises, but she knows that he doesn't know what for. He's confused. She doesn't want to know Lydia was something. She doesn't want to know Lydia was nothing. What does she want? Sarah doesn't think she can trust him anymore. She liked him once upon a time and she goes home while a pished Adam winds up at the law office and sees the bells in on his own. Mm. And that's as far as we get with that. Sarah seems to be deliberately trying trying to to ruin this. All of this. She seems very hormonal. Maybe she's pregnant already. For a relationship that is at least 10 years old. Right. Has lasted, according to her, according to her her friend... Six months. Six months. Now, I find that she asks him some questions about Lydia in the room, like, does she leave the door open when she's in the shower? Right. Did you meet her parents? Right. And he claims that he can't remember. Right. I find that ludicrous. Of course he can remember. Mm. He must be able to remember if he met her parents or not. I think you and I would remember those sorts of things. I think Sarah would remember those sorts of things. But let's remember that Adam, 
as is Barlow tradition, has flung his seed far and wide <laughs> in the past 10 years. There's so. a mention. Oh, it's all sticky. <laughs> oh, so. it's a smell off. <laughs> this isn't healthy. So, you know, for him, 10 years ago, that may have been like hundreds of women in between, you know, as opposed to us, which it would be two. <laughs> six months, though. If you were with someone for six months, you but can surely remember. We also don't know if he was with her for six months, whether he was not also with other women during that same six months. See, I had a friend. Oh no! Back in the day, and friend in quotation marks, he had a relationship with someone who he called the Nod. That when they were out on a Friday or a Saturday, uh-huh. if he hadn't hooked up with anybody else, and she hadn't hooked up with anybody else, gives her the nod, right? And the two of them hook up, right? That's <laughs> as as broad and as deep as that relationship went, as far as he was because. He concerned. was concerned. Yes. On her view, she thought it was much more than than that, and yes. she she constituted their relationship being months, even year old. Right. Whereas he only saw it as a series of one night stands. Right. Friends with benefits. That kind of thing. Yeah. So I wonder if this six month was a period where on and off the two of them got together, and she's looking at it as being a, a relationship. relationship. But and, and plus, they were at uni, right. where you know, I, I guess the rules are a little bit looser than spoken truly as someone who's who didn't attend. Right. But you know, but and and also, let's remember, from her point of view, this relationship may have ended with a child, right? Whereas he has no idea. I just find it a little odd that he remembers nothing about it, but he did genuinely seem to not recognise her. Right? Yeah, he did. Because he has flung his seed far and wide. Right. It's 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 like I don't know. It's like Sam Malone remembering all of I, his I, relationships. I, I guess. I guess. But Adam I don't, I don't, is very much the British Sam Malone. But I don't know why Sarah, pregnant at thirteen, thinks that this is such a deal breaking revelation. <sighs> I don't know why this why this upsets her so much. The Carla thing is far more recent mm-hmm. and far closer to home. Yes. I can see why that could still but Carla be... Carla was not a relationship. No. Again, it was just a one-night stand. Well, and I think and I think that's it. I think it's it's that she already kind is kind of in limbo as far as how much can she trust this guy. And yet here's another example of him kind of just being kind of casual and not very and very blasé about a woman and a woman's feelings and I can understand why that would put her off but as a woman who he hasn't seen in 10 years and has had no cause to remember or or tell her about I don't don't know I'm, I'm sure one of the things going through her mind is well how's he going to refer to me in 20 years if this doesn't work out but she seemed to take Massive umbrage at the at the, the the notion that when he says the relationship obviously meant more to her than it meant to me, and Sarah's like, "Well, is that what you think of me?" Right. Well, yeah. You got married. 
I would suggest <laughs> it meant a little bit more than that. Well, well, he's never been married before. That's true. That's true. He's never taken this huge of a step in commitment before with any woman. That I'd, is true. I don't know. I, 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 I find Sarah being oddly unreasonable here, and I don't think leather trousers would have made me think any differently. Is this is this nationalism in, on your part? Are you defending him just because he's Scottish? I don't think so. Oh. I don't think so. <laughs> she seemed determined to to fall out with him and succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you when we saw her we are very he is very crass about this whole thing though. He is. You know, it meant did, nothing to him. Right. But you'd think that once you get wise that something that didn't mean an awful lot to you did mean an awful lot to somebody else, wouldn't you at least feel empathy for that person just a little bit? Of I don't know that we even know that it meant a lot to Lydia. It's just that she remembers it clearer. Well, she seemed very offended by it being referred to as just a fling. So it seems like it did mean something to her. Mm. And remember, she did recognize him before he recognized her. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Sarah pregnant at 13 is, is causing a, a fuss I don't, about this. I don't know what her being pregnant at 13 has to do with... Well, she has a past as well. Right. A past where, you know, it's fortified her distrust in men. From the age of 13, she has had men treat her poorly. So it doesn't take much for her to just completely distrust them. I don't know. I'm sure she got on very well with Todd. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on then. I think this is our penultimate storyline. There's been so many of them. Is Lessons with Faye. Which transforms into something else halfway through. On Tuesday, Emma's chat with Tim about Curtis's whereabouts. Steve comes along and remains firm in his belief that Curtis was a lying son of a bitch and Emma is better off without him. Yes. Tim, though, feels sorry for her and offers to help her look. Aww. Meanwhile, Faye's second lesson with Craig has resulted in Steam pishing out from the bonnet of the taxi and Craig suffering whiplash. Later. But not like that. Tim has fixed the car and offers to take Faye out next time. But she figures, oh, we bit windy pops. But she figures that that would be even worse than Craig. True. Even worse than Craig. Yes, because that's her dad. Tim and Emma have had no luck in finding Curtis, but Emma still says that she owes Tim a favour. So he asks her to give Faye some driving lessons, and Emma has to agree because that's what Emma does. Later, it is what Emma does. Later, Craig tries to make Faye feel better by explaining how he failed to read the rights to the first bloke that he arrested, and the bloke had to correct him. Right. Had to help him walk. Had to walk him through it. Yep. Meanwhile, Amnesty International is on the phone for this <laughs> this blatant case of of unfair imprisonment. So Faye drives off with Emma, and it looks and sounds like Faye is determined to fuck that car again because it's she's like a, she was in Titan or something. It's like she's a girl who because she can't drive because of that. Right. <laughs> Faye's ha, ha, lesson ha, ha. has finished with no women drivers. Hilarious. Faye's lesson has finished with no known deaths. At the Rovers, Faye and Emma talk about Curtis, who Emma calls the love of her life, and she can't forgive Steve for what he did. I know. How quickly someone becomes the love of your life. I mean, that that does tend to happen, but she seems to 
be very forgiving about the fact that he lied to her consistently throughout their whole relationship. And maybe you should take that into consideration before calling someone the love of your life. And also they were together for not very long. Less time than than Fizz and Phil with two L's. I would say longer than that. No, I don't yeah, think so. I would think so. Because they were together around about the springtime. Because that was when the two of them first appeared in the Empty Cuff Awards. Hmm. I think Emma would struggle on Mr. and Mrs. Yes. What's that called over here? The mating game? The new newlywed game? Newlywed game. What's the mating game? <laughs> oh, that's a... That's something very different. That's a not safe for work <laughs> right. show. Yeah, so... Tell it on yourself, she, she can't be entirely sure what is true and what isn't about him. Right, yeah. I mean, there's some things that she knows are, are wrong, but the, I, I don't know what she, she knows confirm, is right. Right, exactly. His name and maybe his date of birth, I don't know. Right, and remember, she even said she's the one who spoke into the ether that maybe his name isn't really Curtis Delamere. Right, off the sea. Yes. Somewhere. So, on Friday, number one, Lizzie's presents have arrived. That's hilarious. Because Liz isn't coming back. No. And she's not getting a farewell, which sucks still. It does suck. They're all Spain shirts with names on the back. There's one for Emma, which makes Steve mad at Curtis all over again. Yes. At Sally's, Faye bounds down the stairs of Discovery to discover Tim preparing for the big shop. Sally wants wine, chalk ices and crisps. Fate is off for a driving lesson with Emma, but promises to pick up Tim at Freshcoats. In the Rovers, Amy and Emma are catching up. Emma hasn't been able to track down Curtis anywhere, not his old flat, not his, at his dad's. And then Faye comes in, which causes me no end of problems as Faye and Amy are now together in the same scene. One of them <laughs> wants a driving lesson. I'm not sure which. <laughs> Faye... They don't even look alike. Oh, see, I was going to say, they do have a little similar they kind of... They both have long brown hair. That's where it begins and ends. Right, so from a distance, you couldn't, no. be, you couldn't be 100% sure which one you were looking no, at. No, because they have different heights and different body types and I, different weights. I still do it. I type Amy when Faye is there. And... Anyway. Anyway. Faye and Emma have successfully picked up Tim and brought him home, but then Faye inexplicably slams the back passenger door shut on Tim's fingers. Yes. And this is done for comedy? No, this is done to get Tim to the hospital. Right, but it's also done for comedy. Well, we'll, we'll everyone because laughs about it. Every Yes, and, and then Faye and, and Emma go to talk about makeup? Or something? Uh, nail well, polish. Yeah, they were talking nail about vanish. nail polish. Meanwhile, Tim is picking his nails up off the <laughs> pavement. And Sally's already half cut, so Faye and Emma have to drive Tim to the hospital. Wow. So at the hospital, Tim goes off to get his hand fixed with Faye. Meanwhile, Emma sees Curtis getting out of a taxi. Yeah, so... Tim getting his fingers crushed was all to get Emma to the hospital. Well, I, I don't know if that's all it was there for, but we'll come to that. Hmm. She chases after Emma, as chases after Curtis and apologises. He still can't believe that she'd think that he'd be a thief. And I honestly don't know why he is disbelieving that anyone could think of him as a wronging after right, everything yes. that he's done. How dare you call me a liar after I lied to you throughout our whole relationship? Yeah. He says he's here for the therapy, but he agrees to Emma's request to meet up for a chat after his appointment. And while Curtis is away, Emma chats with Faye, 
Emma asks if Faye thinks that she's stupid still wanting after Curtis, and Faye doesn't see how it could work, but doesn't think Emma's stupid. She just has more faith in people than she does. Right. Yes. Faye wouldn't think this stupid. After all, she's in a relationship with Craig. Yeah. <laughs> for no reason. Right. Emma is wandering through the corridors of the hospital for reasons best known to herself, and she walks by the cardiology department, looks to the window, and sees Curtis shouting at a receptionist, demanding to see a cardiologist. Right, even though he doesn't have a referral. Right. And later he meets up with Emma outside. He tells her that it went well. She calls him a liar. He says, yep, that's why I'm here. <laughs> she announces that she saw him at the cardiology department. He says he's been having palpitations. She kind of shakes her head and starts crying and tells him that she can't help him, but she's called Neville, who's there and looking like Kevin's wedding day still, and Steve, who's also there, to be right for a change. Neville leads Curtis away to the big pointless plot graveyard in, in the, the sky. sky. Tim gets home via a taxi from the hospital. His hand's bruised, he says, and he seems in oddly low spirits as Sally goes through the booze and snacks on the shopping list. Yeah, because she's all disappointed because the... the Chucky ices have melted right. because because they didn't unload the groceries before they rushed him off to the hospital. <laughs> Sally. <laughs> oh, Sally. At number one, Steve and Emma make up. Steve says Emma needs someone less complicated in her life. And I don't think he's wrong about that. No. Because she's, so, she's such a simple character. She takes everything at face value. She just wants love and she wants... And she's constantly disappointed Companionship. In this, she's a bit young if we're looking for companionship. But that's what she's looking for, I think. Right, yeah. And she doesn't need these complicated characters that Corey keeps throwing at her. Yeah. Faye comes down the stairs of Discovery to discover Tim's wallet and the money in it. And she rushes off to drive to a party with Emma or Amy or someone. She'll get a taxi Emma. home. Tim is very maudlin about the year while Sally goes off to get ready. And later at the Rovers, Sally needs a pish, but the toilets are full. How are the toilets full when the Rovers is dead? (laughs) Right. Can't you just run upstairs and use Ronnie's bathroom? Yeah, you might feel that that's a a strange thing to mention. (laughs) But we'll come back to it. So, they're on their own when Steve opens up to Tracy that the Emma stuff has just made him feel sad about what he'll miss out with Oliver. He was looking forward to 2040 when he would go with Oliver for a drink in the Rovers. Tracy just wants an end to this pandemic. Normality is a luxury, she says, because Tracy is always thinking about other people. Right, yes. And also, kudos to Tracy, the only character that seems to remember that we're still having a pandemic. Right. So remember Sally? Remember how Sally needed a pish for the toilets were full at the Rovers? Yeah. So Sally goes for a pish in the community garden. Right, yes. Sally. Hoity-toity Sally, who knows the differences between two different shades of white, who's who's running for for council person, peeing in public. Even though... In a Drunk time, off her ass. Even though in the time it takes for her to hook her gusset to one side, she could have gone home and done a pish there. Seriously. She pees like a horse, says Tim, and that's how they bring, in 2022, standing in Sally's urine in the community garden. <laughs> I know, they don't even move away from it. And they get home and Sally's enjoyed herself, but there's still something wrong with Tim. He seems worried about their health and he doesn't want Sally to die and Sally doesn't want Tim to die. So the two of them decide that they haven't had a drink yet in 2022 and they both decide to make a fresh start in the new year. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Even though they still have like five bottles of wine in the fridge because they decided to go out for New Year's. So you mentioned that 
Tim going to the hospital was just a plot point for Emma to meet Curtis, which I think is certainly true to some point. You think it was also for Tim to be maudlin about his heart, his own heart? I'm wondering if Tim has learned something about his health whilst getting checked out for his hmm. broken hand. Because he came back in such a low mood. Yeah. Which was possible. Un- unlike Tim. Quite possible. At New Year. But why would they be checking something else out when they're checking out his fingers? I don't know. You always get the vitals checked, don't you? Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Why, I, I, I don't know it just seems that... Yeah, no, no. You, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think he may have learned something. Something just... Something seems to happen. And, and it was curious that we didn't see him... Because the God knows that they love to use the hospital set. Right. It's it curious was, that we don't see him getting his fingers wrapped. Yeah. Got yeah. Something. Right. I don't know. I'm you're, glad... I, you're not wrong. I'm glad that the Curtis thing seems to have finally come to an end. Yes, thank God. Because I had horrible visions of Emma finding them and then him warming his way back into their life and then all that sort of stuff. So Ugh. I'm glad... I'm glad that none of that seems to be happening. Right. But it still, it felt a little swift to come to an end. Yeah. Going away with his dad. He doesn't trust his dad. His, his dad doesn't trust him. So he's going to get... And where has he been staying? Because apparently he didn't have his flat anymore. Right. He'd moved in with... Friends? W- he still has friends somewhere? I don't know. Who knows? There's all these questions about this character who... I, I, I think we're I, better off not knowing. We're better off not knowing. I don't know why he couldn't have just been... Couldn't he have just been a nice guy? I mean, I know it doesn't generate drama by well, the bucket Well, that's what loads. I'm saying about Leo. Can't Leo just be a nice guy? And Phil with two L's. People are still Jenny's constantly ha- saying, oh, there's something about that Phil with two L's. I'm telling you, he's a wrong and somehow we're going to find out. The people seem to think that he's after Fizzy's money, despite the Fizz fact... Fizz has no money. <laughs> and Phil with two L's has lots of money. And they've never talked about it. No. They've never talked about anything that they're... And he's never asked her for money. He did not ask her to move into this house with him. And he's been privy to none of the conversation about no. the, the sale of number nine. No. <laughs> I don't think that's it. No. There may, there may well be something up with Phil with two there L's, was, but I don't think it's that. There's... there's there was that moment of darkness when he told Tyrone that he didn't need to defend Fizz, that, that he's got it with the whole thing with his mother. And we kind of see a little bit of that when Tyrone confesses that he tried to kiss Fizz. And yeah. he's like, I must defend her honor, which was a weird way of him putting it. Instead of just saying, beating the shit out of him because he tried to kiss you. Right. But I, I honestly... I. It's nice when they're just normal people. (laughs) Can't we just have them be normal people? I mean, we keep Gary around and we know Gary's killed people. We keep Tracy around and Tracy's killed people. It it feels like there's two ways of dealing with it. You have normal people who drama happens to. Right. Or you have people who bring their drama into the show. And Curtis being one of the ones who brings his drama into the show. Right. He's not someone that we've seen have something happen to him who then goes down this path of right. the kind of Munchausen sort of thing, the, yeah. the fictitious disorder or whatever. He's he's brought that into the him. show with him. Yeah. Whereas you could have somebody like, I don't know, Tyrone ending up with somebody who beats him up. 
Right. Well, that's not something that he's bringing to the show. That's something that the show has then developed. Right. And I think it's a little better for us to get to know these characters. Right. Get to know Curtis, who we seemed to like at the start. Yeah. He was a little... We were was a little, a little, little cautious about him. him from the very beginning because he was like, oh, well, I haven't been with very many women. And we're like, you're Red a flag. cutie... Red flag. You're a cutie patootie. Red and flag. you're shy around women. Right. And but, awkward around women. What's wrong with you? But generating something from... So for something to evolve out of that character that brings drama, I think is far preferable because anybody walking into the show could be bringing anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway. Anyway. Our final storyline this morning, Ugh. as we aim to bring this in under two hours, please, is Abbey Christmas, everyone. On and Sunday. here it is. Abbey Christmas. Everybody's doing drugs. <laughs> We try to bring this under two hours. <laughs> Abby is at Seb's memorial garden thing and she finds an envelope, the contents of which seem to make her mad. She takes the flowers in a card and takes them to Dev's, where she throws them in Kelly's face, telling her that she absolutely hates her. Kelly tries not to cry and closes the door. Addy thinks Abby was bang out of order here. Kelly thinks the card was a bad idea, do you think? Yeah. Why, 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 why leave why a broadcast card? Right, yeah. Or maybe, you know... Bury it under all of the other flowers that are still there. Right. You or, know? Or sign it, not Kelly. Right. Anonymous. Just or just don't sign it at all. Dev says Kelly isn't responsible for Seb's death, but Abby has to live with this and doesn't need to think of her... and doesn't need to think of Kelly's feelings. Kelly thinks it was a mistake hanging around. And later, Dev, Kelly and Addy are giggling as they leave the house, and this is seen by Abby, who decides to mutter nastiness under her breath. And a drunk Abby follows Dev, Addy and Kelly to the bistro and makes her presence felt, kind of going overboard with a mafioso, mafioso politeness. I'll just be sat in the corner, see, making sure that nothing awful happens to you, see? Kind At of least thing. she didn't employ a New Jersey accent. Yeah, she should have. <laughs> Kelly and Dev swap seats so Abby noisily pushes her chair to another part of the restaurant. At this point, I'm thinking, fuck off, Abby. Yeah. Fuck off. This is ridiculous. Seriously. Kev complains to Debbie. Be a grown-up. Right. Dev complains to Debbie, who goes and speaks to Abby, reminding her of her promise to Jack to not go off the rails. But none of this washes, and Abby whispers at Kelly for what feels like half an hour. Hmm. I was quite surprised at Debbie there, because she did handle that really well. She did. The fact that she didn't, you know, defend Abby, exactly. I thought was good. Yeah, because at the end of the day, this is a business, and she's trying to make money and right. all that sort of thing. But, but what she said to Abby was perfectly fair. Yeah, you know, remember your promise to Jack. Kev goes and drags Abby home. What happened to moving on? Are you ashamed of me? Asks Abby. That's easily rectified. Kev says she's entitled to hate the girl, but she can't terrorize her, or she'll end up back inside. Abby thinks that she'll never be able to move on with Kelly around and she's thought of a way to fix it once and for all. Is she really entitled to hate her? Is is this grown woman really entitled to hate a 16-year-old girl who... Who didn't kill your son. Who didn't kill her son and tried to stop the person who killed her son from killing her son and also went to prison for killing her son when she didn't kill her son tried to commit suicide, and then was homeless. I think Kelly has served her time for her part, her very small part. For slapping Nina. Right. For slapping Nina when ITV Corey told her to slap Nina. 
Everybody seems to forget this part, that she didn't just randomly go up to Nina and slap her. She took little encouragement, though. That, right. But that's because she was trying to get into ITV Corey's pants. She was also drunk. Right. On Monday, Debbie is round with Kev performing an autopsy on Abby's behaviour from yesterday. Kev calls it a blip. Abby insists that she's fine and she recognises that she was in the wrong. She's over it, blaming having to say goodbye to the twins again. But then she's agitated once more when Kev lets it slip that Kelly's working at the barbers. Right. Kev a place seems... that Abby would never go on her own and would never have known. Kev seems scared of Abby. I think he's right to be scared of Abby. Abby could kick his ass. At this point in the week, he's absolutely terrified of this woman that he's married. Right. Who could kick his ass. <laughs> I don't know if that's a great thing to be... To be terrified of the person that you're married to. I don't, no. think, I don't think it bodes well. No, it doesn't bode well. So Abby isn't over it and blocks Kelly on her way to work. Rather than walk round her, Kelly gives up to avoid a scene. And this exchange is seen from a distance. From a distance. By Imran. Imran for... That's my line! And I did it before you could. <laughs> Imran follows Kelly and Nina rolls. They reminisce about this Christmas and past Christmases. Kelly mentioning how Rick the Chin taught her to ride a bike. Imran brings up the altercation with Abby just as Abby walks in and Kelly rushes out. Kelly tries a couple of times to talk about her dad during this and nobody's interested in listening to her. No. Imran gives chase and Abby isn't far behind claiming that she didn't do or say anything to Kelly. She and Imran have a back and forth about Seb and Kelly's involvement in his death and when Imran points out that Abby hasn't exactly led a pristine existence on this planet up to now and didn't she cheat on Kev with him, Abby punches him in the face mm -hmm. in broad daylight yeah. in the middle of the street. Correct. This is seen by Kev, who rushes over, demanding to know what's going on. Imran decides to take the blame for it, so Kev Ugh. gets stuck into Imran until he remembers passing Kelly in the street and puts two and two together. Right. Imran says if her harassment of Kelly continues, he's going to the police, and Kev and Abby walk off. Mm -hmm. Now this generated a little bit of heat and light on the social media. It did, with people not understanding your, your, your tweet and saying, no, you're wrong. Abby's the one who punched Imran. Yeah, so I sent out a tweet which basically swapped Abby and Imran. Imran's names yeah. around and had a situation where, after a little bit of verbals, Imran decides that the best way to treat this is to punch Abby in the face. Right. And then Imran just goes about his day with right. no uh, consequence whatsoever. Right. And how ridiculous that sounds when you say it out loud. Imran would have been dragged to jail and yeah. also roughed up by the cops and racially profiled. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> He probably wouldn't have had a great day after that. Yeah. Abby, however, nothing Walks happens. away. And Imran takes the blame for her. And this seemed to be something that, you know, a, a few people, in, including our Canadian librarian friend, Christy P, was pointing out that you can't have... This double the, standard. The, this double standard and violence towards a man from a woman that is treated almost like it's comedic. Right. And her point and her... Um, uh, what had kind of annoyed her, I think, was the fact that the show released a gif of it mm -hmm. and and downplayed the fact right. that what we've seen here is a woman assaulting a man right. in broad daylight right. and it's gifable right. and it's light-hearted right. and it's nothing to be concerned about. Yeah, And it and, is something to be concerned and about. And I mean, in, in fairness and in, in taking accountability for ourselves, we constantly joke 
about Tracy has killed and she will kill again. Right. And it's hilarious that she has killed and she will kill again. So, you know, sometimes we are part of the problem, but it's. Yeah. And when you combine it with, as you pointed out, the the exhausting links they go to make it hilarious that women can't drive and women can't cook on the show. It's kind of like, what what are we what are we trying to say here? There's a there's a cheap way to go. Right. To get comedy. To get laughs. Right. Out of the ladies. Yeah, I don't know. I just And it's when sucks. she did it and when she got away with it. And bear in mind that I think this was more accidental. Kev's also elbowed and run in the face. Right. Yes. And you know the Imran's a constantly being assaulted by this family and right. and nothing, nothing ever happens. happens. Right. And it's all kind of brushed under the carpet. And it, it's really unfortunate because you have so many great comedic actresses on this show who are funny in their own right and they don't need kind of these gender-based old, you know, Benny Hill jokes thrown at them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was disappointing to see. It and, was. But thankfully it was kind of... Well, I don't know if it's thankfully, but, but nothing else really comes from that. Right. Maria goes to see Kelly and why she's not at work. Maria gets the sense that Kelly can't be bothered. Kelly's about to correct her when Abby walks by with the evil eye. So Kelly says that, yep, she couldn't be arsed turning up. So Maria fires her on the spot. Yeah. Kelly, just tell the truth. Yeah. Later, Kelly heads to the Alleyway of Doom to meet up with Jacob, who wants her off the spice. He tells her she's making a mistake. <laughs> Stop it with the June jokes. Kelly calls him a dealer with a conscience and storms off. She'll go somewhere else. And she seems to manage to get her spice from another source in this past, out in the pavement, when PC Tinker happens along. High, hello, hello, hello. High out of her tits. She tries to run away, but PC Tinker nabs her and asks her to turn her pockets out and then lifts her for being high. I like the fact that we get to see Jacob. Yeah. I want more of Jacob. Can we have more of Jacob, please? Yeah, he's an interesting character. He is an interesting character because, you know, he seems to have developed some sort of conscience and yet seems to not be able to escape the drug life himself. Yeah, I think he has some interesting stories to tell. Yes. His sister's Lydia. In real life. In real life, yeah. yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> PC Tinker brings Kelly back to Dave's just as Dave is enjoying a spot of ironing. Dev goes through the roof, accusing Kelly of bringing drugs into the house. Addy tells him to go easy, but Dev isn't the bad guy here. And he storms out just as Imran comes in to warn Kelly that she's pushing her luck. Imran doesn't blame her entirely, but she needs to sort herself out, which is why she'll be attending PC Tinker's Drugs Are Bad MK seminar <laughs> tomorrow. Imran believes in her, but Kelly doesn't see the point when everyone hates her. Imran points out that she's currently living at Dev, so that's not true. But then a calmer Dev comes back, apologises for his temper earlier. He says his kids need to heal and they can't deal with her added drama and pressure. They can't fix her. Dev is sympathetic that Kelly is being bullied by Abby, but there's all the other stuff, like the video of Asha that Kelly sent round. Asha forgave her and let her in the house, but it's too much. And in the morning, Kelly has to leave. And this is just... I can kind of see Dev's point as far as that video is concerned. And yay, it's it's great that somebody's finally remembered it. But it, it shows that he really doesn't have very much faith in his kids who have been through a lot and have... Are practically adults, let's face uh, yeah, it. Yeah, are practically adults and have grown up and dealt with a lot of things without very much help from him. I don't know. I thought Jimmy was 
awesome in that scene. I thought he was very good, but I thought it was unfair for Dev to kick her out. I mean, plot, obviously. Sure. <laughs> so, on Tuesday, it's early morning and Abby is up and about making sure she's intimidating Kelly as she leaves Dev's. Imran's in Nina's roles when he overhears Gary and Maria talking about firing Kelly yesterday. This explains a lot to Imran, who reveals that she got lifted for being out of her tits on drugs, and Dev's chucked her out. Back to the secure accommodation thing again for Kelly. Right. So Abby goes into Dev's, and Addy immediately tries a sob story about Kelly turning to drugs and having nowhere to go, and shouldn't Abby feel responsible for this? Abby could not give a solitary fuck, but to her credit, still buys her chalky bickies and pasta, rather than storming out. (laughs) That that felt like intimidation to me. Her her refusal to storm out. Yeah, yeah. Her her going up to the to the counter and putting her stuff on the counter. Ring this up. Boy. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kelly's in Nina's roles with Toya, trying to talk her way out of going to the drug support group thing. She doesn't think she's an addict, and Toya tells her she's going the right way about becoming one and basically drags her out. Well done, Toya. Gary catches up with Imran to find out the latest on the Kelly situation. Imran's curious as to why Gary gives a shite and he spins a story about social responsibility. Imran tells him that if he wants to help, get Kelly her job back. And at the support group, oh fucking hell, Abby shows up. What the fuck? Abby looks as shocked. Are there, uh, is there only one AA meeting in, in all of Manchester? Abby looks as shocked as Kelly does, but Toya tells her to sit down and face up to this. It's the only way to get through. So Kelly's invited to introduce herself and she talks about her upbringing and her abandonment from her parents and her getting involved in things that haven't helped her. She looks for stability in the wrong places. People have had it worse than her and worked out okay. She ended up homeless and drugs were an escape and, and stop her thinking about all the mistakes that she's made in her life. And next up is Abby and she explains about Seb's murder and how she's consumed by the grief and guilt and it's everywhere all the time. Inside she says she's always screaming this can't be real but it is drugs are the only thing that numb it and her tears are years too late Seb should have felt loved but Abby was too weak and selfish so he felt forgotten and he probably blamed himself but he should never have felt that way it's unforgivable and Abby and Kelly look like they might understand each other's positions a little bit better here after Toya is proud of Kelly who thinks a breakthrough with Abby was hard today and hopefully won't be long before Kelly is back with her and Imran Kelly's very gracious as she leaves Dev's and she heads to Nina's roles to wait for a call on from the social services. Gary sees this and speaks to Dev and then gives Maria a call on his massive mobile phone. He has something to run past her. Mm-hmm. So Gary goes to speak to Maria and pitches, pitches the idea of Kelly moving into their spare room. He feels responsible for all this given how he murdered Rick the Chin. It's the least that he can do. And I was kind of surprised I kind of forgot how much Maria knows at this point. Right, yeah. Maria knows everything, pretty much. So Gary and Maria track Kelly down to Nina's roles and Maria tells her that she can have the spare room. She jumps at the chance, promises to be good and heads off to let Addy know. Privately, Maria tells Gary he'd better hope that that this doesn't blow up in his face because if Kelly finds out that he killed Rick the Chin, expect Kelly to be slightly miffed about that. And then on Friday, Abby and Kev couldn't have got round to talking about the drugs meeting yesterday, so they talk about it in the morning. Kev is glad that peace has broken out, especially as people could draw comparisons with Abby bringing the gun that killed Natasha on the street. Right. Well done. Well done, Kev, for making a good point. Yeah. Finally. And for being, given how he's terrified of Abby, that could have gone anyway. No. But Abby seems to recognise this in herself as well, that Kelly didn't kill Seb just like 
Abby didn't intend for Natasha to die. Irina rolls Gary and Maria chant to Kelly about the amount of time that she spends in the shower and using Maria's expensive concealer. So she can afford some of her own, Maria gives Kelly her job back, starting this afternoon. Chop, chop. Imran and Toy are playing a game of putting Elsie's name into famous songs and bands. That was funny. Kirk walks by with a yo-yo, which sums up his storylines from 2021. Imran <laughs> and Toy are magnanimous that Kelly is setting in, uh, settling in with Gary and Maria. Yes. So Abby catches Kelly outside the barbers and asks for a chat during her break. In the community garden, Abby sings the praises of the drug support group. It's uh, something that she thinks that Kelly will continue to get something out of. The two seem to reach an understanding until Kelly notices that Abby is looking a little white. Yeah. Abby doesn't want a fuss and tells Kelly not to push it. Kev's sleepy from his lunchtime pint at home. Abby tells him about her official truce with, with Kelly and now she's worn out. She's not even hungry for a takeaway. No. Meanwhile at home, Imran and Toya are still going on about their Elsie playlist game as they decide whether to have vegetarian cottage pie or vegetarian shepherd's pie for dinner. <laughs> that was funny too. Meanwhile, Abby is ready to send a text while Kev sleeps, asking to meet up urgently with Imran. So Imran makes his excuses to Toya and meets Abby at the law office where she tells him that she thinks that she's pregnant. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Oh, oh no! Oh no! Oh no, it may be a brown baby. Yeah, it feels like we're using the fact that... Is this the 1950s? Imran's ethnicity might prevent Abby from pulling the wool over Kev's eyes here. Right, yeah. This is just shameful. (laughs) This is so ridiculous. I hate it Well, to be fair, no one has mentioned... She's a brown baby. We're, right, but this is this is where this is going, right? This is why she's concerned that it might be Imran's child. Oh, no, I think she's just concerned that she's pregnant, full stop. Right. But why go to Imran? Why not? Why, why tell Imran first, as opposed to Kev, who... Why would you tell Kev? Because... Statistically, this is probably Kev's kid. She has slept with Kev much more in the past month than she has with Imran. Well, maybe there are some uh, rubber involvements that make it impossible to be Kev's. Or has Kev had the snip? I don't. I don't know if that's come up in 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 the show whether or not he's had the snip. You'd think that it would. That they would have talked about having more kids at some point, and maybe they have. Kev's far too old for having more kids. He was kind of too old when he had Jack. Right, but he's not the one having the kid, so it's fine. Right, but that kind of makes it difficult for him to knock up Abby then, doesn't it? Men are knocking women up into their 80s. Some men, not every man. Right, but we have not seen anything to indicate that Kev has a problem with, with production, shall we say. Because if he had a problem with production he would have a problem with everything and Abby doesn't seem to be complaining too much about Kev's prowess in the bedroom well I don't know if we have an awful lot of information on that but I think and also they've been in a long term relationship so one would assume that at this point it would be more of a birth control thing than constantly buying condoms I'm thinking though that 
this probably, if it is Imran, if Imran is the father of this child, and we don't even know that She's Abby pregnant. is 100% pregnant. Right, anyway. yeah. I think they had her fling in September. Yeah. So we're talking like three, four months ago. Right. She wouldn't just be getting sick now if it was Imran's kid. It's a long time. Yeah. And a lot of periods to miss. Although I guess she went off the rails for a little bit. But she went off the rails for a little bit, so that probably wouldn't have helped matters along. No. Either. Even from a, ignoring the the brown baby aspect of it. I hate it anyway. Right, yeah. yeah I, I've never liked the fact that the show has thrown this potential banana skin so to speak and and waited for for the effects of it to for someone to slip up on it Mm -hmm. whether that's Abby and Kev or Imran and Toya or all of them right and the fact that Imran hasn't told the whole truth to Toya Toya just knows that it was somebody she doesn't know it was Abby right and Abby has told Kev nothing nothing right it's I don't know it's an aspect of Imran that because I love Imran's character so much right I would I would absolutely rather that this wasn't a thing yes absolutely so, so I'm against it just on principle yes <clears throat> and then there's a other more icky aspects of it that right we don't know are a thing or not but well no you don't know are going to become a thing but it's just you kind of do though well what one can hope so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's it's typical that once we, we cross one thing off being the, the, the Kelly and right. Abby thing, once that seems to be settled, it's something else has to get thrown in. Right, but can't somebody else have the drama? Right. Why does it have to be Abby again? And I think this goes back to the, the assault as well. It's the, the show is so invested in, in Abby as a character. And I think... It, because Sally Carwin is such a good actress, right? It, it doesn't doesn't help matters any. And but the Abby show, became beloved of you know, so it's like, oh well, let's throw another storyline at her because of fan service. Well, this is not exactly what the fans want as far as Abby getting storylines. But as I was saying to you in a movie theater in Portage, Michigan, yes, it's a kind of after seeing Licorice Pizza. I think it was before seeing Licorice Pizza. It's a kind of Goldilocks thing. That they've got going with Abby, where somehow we treat Goldilocks as a hero of this story, and the, the three bears are somehow the villains, despite the fact that it's their house that gets broken into, right? And it's just, their food that gets eaten, and their beds that get slept right, in, right? Despite the fact that originally Goldilocks was an old thieving woman who is definitely the body of the story, but they, they're in the I think that just complicates my point. But the, the fact that Abby is seen to be not a perpetrator of violence in right. this way with Imran it's just a, an, an extension of the fact that the show is basically letting this character do whatever it, she wants do whatever she wants and they're, they're not but that's and, a, that's the kind of and the it feels like there are no consequences right there's no consequences of her of her bad actions here right and and again that, that it, in a way it kind of feels like they're trying to do fan service because People love Abby so much. It's like, oh, no, we can't throw Abby back in jail. People love Abby to be the hero. Right. Abby needs to be the hero of everybody's storyline. Right. 
So we're going to try to paint this whole trying to gun down a teenager as heroic and the right thing to do because the teenager is so awful. Yeah, and it's made me move Abby down the list of of characters that I, I love to mm-hmm. the, a character that I merely like. Right. And at some points during the storyline, I haven't even liked her. No. And I don't know. Yeah, I, the, I whole, the whole terrorizing Kelly thing. The, thing the, the fact that Nina and Asha are more mature about this than an adult grown woman. Right. Oh, well. It looks oh, well. like we've failed in our attempt to bring this under two hours. I'm sure you can nip a few things. We will try. <laughs> but that was the week that was... It was. Four and a half hours worth of Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Is it the Christmas sing-along? It kind of feels like Christmas was... Like, all of Christmas was first out. Is it the Christmas sing-along or is it Batman appearing in Nina's roles? <laughs> no. I had a couple of ideas. One uh-huh. of them was Christmas. Yeah. And I really liked Evelyn's attempts at peacemaking with his... I thought her voice of calm was really mm-hmm. good. And it was a, it was nice to have Evelyn back. Yes. <clears throat> and it was nice to see uh, Maureen Lippman. Yes. Protect her at all costs, though. Yeah, but doing her... Doing a, a, a great turn of acting. Yes. <clears throat> and also not thinking about herself, which shows remarkable development right. in, in that character. But yes. I think because Except Christmas... Except where it comes to her Turkish delight. Right. But I think where... Christmas succeeded just so well, despite, you know, little nits here and there that, that people can, can pick up. But I think Christmas was was so well done, so well written, and brought us an awful lot of joy in mm-hmm. a year where we desperately needed it. Yes. I think I'd go along with that. Just the, the Christmas sing-along, just... And the, and what that represents right. from the Right, yeah, the because episode. eventually everybody comes to the Christmas sing-along. And it's just... It's kind of nice to see so many characters in one place. Right. And they were able to do that because it was outside. Right. But, yeah, like but I it said, was, it was a kind of World War Two, Christmas, or World War One, right. World War One, Christmas over the, the trenches kind night, of thing, yeah. where you forget about the, the people that you don't like, the people that you, you're hating at the moment, all the drama that that is it's kind of suspended for a moment. And we'll pick it all up again tomorrow. We all gather around Billy, <clears throat> plunking on the piano. Plunking on the piano. But not like that. And I would say that that is our festive mm. moment of the week. For a moment of the week. And why isn't it Kirk's yo-yo if it isn't? <laughs> you know, we don't have an awful lot of time for this. Kirk's yo-yo is our... For a moment of the week. That works. And that wraps up our New Year episode and 2021 for for Coronation Street. Yes. It's been a good old year for us in terms of Coronation, Coronation Street, Street and, uh, and numbers and, and things like that. So yes. thanks to everyone who has stuck with us through the year and, and, and downloaded and, and got in touch with us and bought us coffee and all right. that sort of wonderful things. And, and every, especially everyone who, whether on Twitter or in, in, in email or something, who has said to us that we've... We've played a part in helping them through the last two years. That that means a great deal to us, and yeah. and you know it always kind of shakes me up a little bit that you know that what we do may seem like silly fluff, but but it means something to people, and and that means something to us. Yeah. So thank you so much. Absolutely, and we will continue, hopefully, 
<laughs> to do so maybe with less singing but we will continue to hopefully do or so through, through 2022 so yeah if you want to drop us a line we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter Facebook and Instagram you can shout me in hell on the coffee by heading to kofi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice please thanks for making it to the end of another episode we will be back next week hopefully with more our talk of the street the talk of the street Bye. Cheerio.